0: as they come so uh, faithfully and uh, serve not only uh, uh, this church in the role of being a trustee with the International Mission Board, but uh, all of our churches, particularly those from here in Alabama and uh, and in our association of churches. And so their time and uh, their energy is something that we uh, are grateful for. And uh, he comes with a passionate heart, uh to our meetings four times a year now and uh and and helps attend to the financial parts of things and looks in things with great depth he always has great questions just so that you know that people ask good questions and and a kind heart and so uh he is an active participant in representing not only this church but uh southern baptist in our mission effort around the world and that's One of the beauties that we have is we come together and we we share a heart together uh, to serve the Lord, not only um, as individuals, but as his people, uh, both in this church and in all of our sister churches. I I do want to thank you. I want to thank you because uh, this is not the first uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering that you've taken here. It's, it's, it's been a habit of this church. It's been one of those practices that through the years you have, have been part of. And, uh, and uh, you have been part of sending people out from here. Uh, I have had the privilege of, uh, of, of knowing uh, someone sent from this church and being impacted. Uh, because uh, a number of years ago when we were in North Africa, uh, we received a journeyman whose name was Tim Howe. And Tim Howe met a young lady who was sent out from this church uh Kim, and uh probably many of you knew uh, them. Uh, her father was pastor here, maybe for uh, a, over a decade or more and uh, and so uh kim and Tim got married and uh and so they served alongside of us in North Africa. For a number of years, and uh, actually, Tim, we think of him as part of our family. So last night we called them when we came here because I really it didn't uh, click in my head till I got here. So you have sent people out. So you've not only given regularly, you've sent, and I have already got the the notion because I've heard you pray. You know, uh, when we bend our knee before God and we lift up. Uh, some of the requests that he's made. You know, they're in in both Luke and in Matthew. Uh, We have it recorded that Jesus has a prayer request he makes of us. Now, just think about that for a second. Jesus has asked you to do something. He has asked you to pray about something. And and, and when you suddenly think about that, now, you know, you've had others who asked for prayer. On issues, You've had um, your own life, you've cried out for prayer, but Jesus said, pray, you, all of you, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out workers into the harvest. And and that's Jesus' heart and his request of us this day. And I know you have been involved in that and I want to thank you for that because that makes ultimate difference. Uh, First of all, we realize that God is the creator of all things. He holds all things. Uh, Actually, your next breath is uh, in his hands. He has has set some systems into motion. He's given us life and health and those kind of things. And and sometimes because they work so well, well, we take them for granted. But they are a gift to us. And so this is the one who has asked of us to pray. And so thank you for being a prayerful people. Uh, I am grateful for being able to be here with you today. And, um, and I, I have a bit of a problem that I'm struggling with. And I've gone back to scripture to, to be able to, to try to rethink uh, what my response? What what is what is in my mind? What is in my heart? Because you see, we live in a planet on a planet that uh, since I was born, and I was born in December of 1955. So you can do the math. Uh, yes, I will turn 60 in just a few weeks. Um, but in these 60 years, we've moved from having roughly uh, 2.5, 2.6 billion people on the planet, to now we have over 7.2. And and one thing, if you do the math pretty quickly, uh, the gospel proclamation hasn't kept up with that in no stretch of the imagination. We've seen wonderful things happen, uh, but it hasn't kept up. But we live in a time when gospel proclamation uh, and share and gospel proclamation. We'll talk about more here in a few minutes. Is 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 more able to happen than than ever before. And, and actually, though, even out of the numbers that are there, more people alive today than when I was born will be born, and they will live, and they will die, and they will never actually hear the gospel. Uh, they will know of God. And as Romans chapter 1 says, that's, that's what God holds us accountable before, because of the elegant book of, of nature tells us there's systems, the world works. The sun comes up in the morning, the earth spins, it rotates around, it has all of those things that speak of the design of the world and it screams of God's creative hand. Um, and that's what God holds us accountable for. But that, my friend, it doesn't tell us of the wonderful cure for sin and sorrow in our life. Because mankind has chosen, chosen to say to God, God, not your way, but our way, my way. Adam and Eve did that. And Jesus came to reverse that very thing. But 2.8 billion people are not going to ever hear of that. Unless something is done, so my problem today is um, why? Why are we not? Why are we not disturbed about this? Why doesn't this bother us? I mean, me included. Why? Why? Why does this not bother us? That on our watch, on our time, when we are on this planet. Uh and there is that. God did not put us here when there was less people. He put us here when there are more people. And there are more opportunities. Why does it not bother us that they cannot hear? Why does that not be why is that not something that drives Southern Baptists, uh, those of us who claim to say this is more important than anything else? Because here we're talking about eternity. Now, this morning, I know you've got a lot of stuff, and you've got a lot of people who are asking from you. You've got tons of requests about Christmas. You've got tons of things that, that are pressing into your life. Uh, the competition for your attention at this moment is probably pretty amazing, and so I'm going to ask that if you have your Bible, you'll turn with me to to Matthew chapter 7, and and here is what I want to ask you to do. Because right here in this place, the Lord Jesus says some things to us that I, I want you to claim from him today, and I want you to talk to him about. Because here it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. And I'm going to ask that here in a moment, as we go to the Lord in prayer, you say, Lord, as we look at this scripture today, I want to ask, I want to knock, I want to seek an answer from you, and I want you to Speak to my heart. I, I really don't care if you even remember who I am. I don't care if you even remember uh, what I say. But I do care that as you look at God's word. And you hear God speak to you. As we are gathered together in this place. That you take what he says so seriously. That it is as important to you as being able to breathe. Because, you see, it is even more important to you than being able to breathe. To know what God has to say and what his will is for each of us. And I want to do this in the context of the Great Commission. So if you'll bow your head, and I'm going to lead in prayer, but I'm not asking you just to listen to me pray. I'm asking you to go to this passage and pray along with me. That God will speak to us. Because your time is too valuable for you to be here and not hear from God. And your life and your influence and every vestige of who you are is far more valuable than what you can hear if you just hear a human being speak today. So go with me to the throne. You pray as I pray. Lord, today we are seeking To hear from you. We we want you to open the truth to us. Lord we want your spirit to, to quicken our hearts. So that we might know the truth. And that that truth might set us free. Lord we pray that as we are in this place this morning. That this will not just be a day as normal days. But will be a day when we meet and hear your word spoken in our heart by your voice and may that change us lord we do not want to just simply be hearers of the word lord but we want to be doers of the word that we might not deceive ourselves about what we really believe but that you might work in and through us so lord we give you the minutes uh, that lie before us as we look into your word and we ask that you guide us, direct us, and move us forward. In Christ's name, we humbly pray and ask. Amen. Now, turn to the 28th chapter. The 28th chapter is at the end of, of, of a very important story. Uh, but here we are at Christmas time at Christmas time when we're celebrating the entrance of Jesus coming into the world. Now, if you read the very beginning of Matthew, you begin and you read over in Luke, where it has those things recorded, Uh, the entrance of Jesus when he first came was quite different than the way we celebrate it today. Why? Uh, Because when Jesus came into the world, there were people who were seeking to kill him. Uh, You remember that. I mean, you read there in Matthew what happens shortly after Jesus is born. We don't know the exact length of time. But Herod sends his army to the town where he was born. And what did happen? All the boys in that town, under the age of probably two or three, they were killed because Jesus was born there in a desire to snuff out his life. Now, we don't remember that very often, but it's very clear in the scripture. Satan did not want Jesus to live to the complete his task. But God had a way, and he brought him through. Now, we see all of Jesus' life is led up, and in the very passages before this, we see him go to the garden... Go to the garden of Gethsemane. And there, you remember the first garden where the first Adam was. And the first Adam and Eve, they went and they, they were under a tree. And God said, don't, don't eat from this tree. And they said, no, God, your will's not our way. Our will, we're going to do our will, not your will. And there they chose to bring you and I into the curse that we live every day why hospitals exist, why prisons exist, why there's so much pain and suffering in our world, why there's wars and other things, all started on that devastating day. The reverse of that began in a garden as well. They're called Gethsemane because Jesus went to that garden and he said, not my will, but your will. And he chose to walk the path of meeting the condition for each and every one of our lives. We, we're not, we don't come to Jesus unconditionally. We come to Jesus with the conditions met. The, uh, our, the price paid. He, he, he has come and, and he has opened it so that when we come to him with arms of faith. He has covered every debt that we owe. And every wrong direction that we have gone. And when we lift our hands in faith, we receive the payment in full for all our sins. Then the good news of Christmas begins at the beginning of chapter 28. Because if chapter 28 wasn't there, the rest would be for naught. On that Sabbath morning, uh, Mary and the other Mary... Uh, and uh, some other ladies, they were headed to the tomb. Now, I love the physical geography of the Bible. I've had the privilege of living in the Middle East for many years. And, and sometimes I would leave my house in Amman, Jordan, and I'd go through the valley, and I'd come up the other side, and I'd get out of this little van kind of thing, and I'd walk about three steps, and I would look through the gap in the houses there, and I would see... Uh, what they call Gordon's Calvary. It's a, it's a cliff, and they have two holes up here, and they have a hole down here. And, and uh, right not too far from it is the garden tomb, where there's an empty tomb that has a lot of descriptors that seem to be the right place. But I know not too far from there on this morning that we're referring to that a unique fact of history happened. Not something that you just believe about, but a fact, an F-A-C-T, fact of history happened. Because on that morning when they walked out of the city to that stone quarry area, the ground shook. The angel of the Lord descended to do something. He came and rolled away the stone. But if you look in this passage of scripture and you read all this passages of scripture, the angel of the Lord didn't come to raise Jesus from the dead. Jesus was risen up by God himself by, because he is partly, he is part, he is the second person of the Holy Trinity of God. And he doesn't need anybody to move a stone for him to go through a wall or a door or anything else. They move that stone that we might see in. And when they moved that stone, the earth shook, the ground was light, and there was one sitting as a man with a face of lightning. Now, who was around him? Think about it for a moment. It was the strongest legion of people in the world. They were the soldiers of that day. They were the Roman soldiers. They were the ones that all people feared. And they were set there to make sure that he would not come out of the grave. Because, what does it say? Just right there in the end of chapter 27. They were to make all efforts to assure that no one would steal his body away. But they couldn't stop him. And he came out. And this angel of the Lord still sitting there. And these women come. And the most important fact of history of history, is next recorded. Because the women came, and what did he say? Say to them, do not be afraid. I know you're seeking Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. For he has risen, as he said. And then the invitation is there. It says, come and see where he lay." It's an open invitation to look and see, did the resurrection happen or not? Now, it's quite interesting that in Mark, it says that when they went into the tomb, there on the right was someone seated. Well, most of the tombs in the Middle East, they go straight back. They don't branch off to the right. But this tomb that's about 100 yards from there, if you go in, there is a place on the right where the body would have been laid. It's an interesting little fact that right in that place, as they went in, they saw that no one was there. And unlike Lazarus, who, remember, when Lazarus came out of the tomb, what did they have to do? They had to untie him because he was bound and he had to be untied. No, the cloth, the grave cloth was laid there because he transcended that. He moved out of that. His glory broke through. He is, all of a sudden, a God made evident Two people, the only God. And in that moment, something changed radically. What does it say in Revelation chapter 1? Right then, he grabs hold of what? The keys of death and hell. Oh, The keys of death? I mean, we have a whole profession called the healthcare profession... And a whole industry, billions of dollars are spent on trying to elongate life a few years. Now, we all appreciate that. But what he has here is the eternal keys that release us from death. Does that resonate with you? I mean, that is the most glorious gift you can receive. I mean, I don't know, probably many of you have been here and there's been a coffin right down here of someone you have loved. Well, that's not the end if they have believed in Christ. If they have believed in time, life eternal is possible. Not only possible, it is sure because he has paid the price that we might gain that life and live forever. I uh, had a a moment that really has been tattooed into my mind and heart. I share with you right now when we were living in North Africa. Um, our landlord, uh, a nice, gentle man, his name is Muhammad Buriki, and um, he uh, he asked, uh, many times I saw him, he, he, he didn't live very close to us, as a matter of fact, he had come back to the country and he sent a message to us to say, uh, I need you to come today. And uh, when I got there, I found out that his daughter had died. And... and it was strange to me because he had many family members, and but he asked that I stand beside him and, and as I stood beside him, uh, I realized uh, this this man had no one to stand with him because you see, his daughter had failed her baccalaureate exam three times, and she had taken her own life and, and, and there, on that day, as I stood beside Muhammad. Uh, people would come up and they would say, Haram, it's forbidden. There's no hope. She's condemned. And this went on for a long time. It's not like any time I have ever been beside someone who has had a loss. She has no hope. was again and again. And I felt the weight of this father coming. And I was thinking, Oh my, I have not arrived here on time. You see, because you and I, when death comes, we have a hope. How can you stand at death's door with no hope? We have a reality of eternity. That should drive our hearts with gratitude and joy like no other thought we could have. Uh, 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 you, you 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 look, you add up, you check your inventory of your life and you decide, does this make a difference if there is hope for a life eternal beyond the grave? That's what this is about. He, he comes on down here and and he tells these people and it's, it's quite interesting because he says uh, to them... Uh, After they came and looked, he said, go quickly, tell, go tell his disciple that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you into Galilee. And then what did they? With fear. Uh, That's always interesting to me. If you go over into Luke 24, when Jesus walks through the wall into the room... Uh, with the disciples they are startled they are afraid that's that would be normal if jesus suddenly was to be physically present right in this room if we saw him our first instinct would not be great joy we would be afraid because the reality of god is so powerful it strikes awe and fear into our hearts they they were afraid but there he said go don't be afraid Tell his disciples. And then as they went just a little further, it's quite interesting that it was women who first saw our Lord. He greeted them. Our Lord. Not the angel now. This is our Lord. He greeted them. And he marries together the second great truth of this passage. Because there he says, Go tell my brothers not the disciples, my brothers, that I'm waiting to meet them. I'm going to be waiting to meet them. Now, why is that important? Well, just less than 72 hours before, uh, these guys had betrayed them. They had run. They had deserted. These are the ones uh, led by Peter, who Peter said, even if I have to die, I will not desert you. Ah, I'm pretty sure that when he talks about going to Galilee, he's talking about the Mount of Beatitudes. Why? Because John 21 gets us really close to there. In John 21, you know what happens there. Peter comes and Jesus deals with that betrayal. Right there. but he, he has a charcoal fire. Peter's lead betrayal was at a charcoal fire. You know, when you smell, you automatically are carried back to the place where you last made that smell. And there he dealt with his betrayal. At this place, Jesus marries resurrection from the dead with forgiveness of betraying sin. And if I can tell you one thing that I see more of in America is that we betray each other so badly and there's so much brokenness and hurt in our world that we must have the forgiveness that comes from a savior who fixes betrayal you just inventory your family i just was with mine and you inventory your family and you'll see there are many broken people who've been betrayed Well, Jesus understands that and he woos us in and he marries together the resurrection and the forgiveness in that place. You see, right at that moment, the key moment in history, a moment that should be etched into our minds, should be a motivating factor, should be the thing that we hold the most dear in our life. Satan said, I have to undermine this. It's interesting, the counter-offensive begins. What happens? The guards, they go into town, and the religious leaders, they hear this story. The religious leaders, these are people who were schooled in the Old Testament. But their place of privilege and their point in their life was so great that they would say, I will prefer to do what we think, than to hear this witness of, I mean, these guys are coming and it was a shining light. It was a great movement, the earthquake. Uh, he wasn't there. Nobody came to steal him. When they opened the tomb, he was gone. And they go, hey, we got to hush this up. The resurrection couldn't have happened. And what did they do? They said, hey, here's money. Here's money to tell a different story. You see, friends, that has been undermined in our world. You just take stock of your own belief. You take stock of where you are. Do you really believe that the resurrection happened and that you actually have an opportunity? Or do you put your faith and your trust in what you Yourself can earn and take care of your own self by. What is at the foundation of how you live your life? Good question. And are you capable of living more than just the period of time you have? Well, the answer is no. Because unless the Lord comes back. There's one thing sure for 100% of us, is that we will age, because yesterday I was 25, tomorrow I'll be 60. And the next day, well, I'm one-tenth of 600, so uh, I'm trusting in the resurrection. But uh, we will experience death. And what does a person carry with them in the coffin? Nada, nothing. This is what we must count as our foundation. It is right at the heart. All decisions in life should be made in light of it. Uh, our church, our our desire to carry that uh, to the ends of the earth. I can't imagine standing before God on that judgment day and saying, Lord, I received your salvation, but I didn't go tell my cousin uh, you brought people into my life, Lord. And, and there were so many laws, but the preacher didn't ever get there and tell them that, that no, 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 no. The, the answer for the gospel going out is us. All of us. It, it, it's not one of us. It's all of us. It starts right where we are. It starts with what we hold as true. And when we step into the battle, of carrying the gospel. We will meet Jesus. I, you know, one of the, I'm going to skip ahead. and We're going to come back to this in a moment. But there, there's, there's some words here. That, and behold. What does and behold mean? I mean we got that. Uh, we don't go around to and behold. And behold. In common ordinary. Look. See. Uh, the very last phrase of this is. And behold. Uh, put in a come see. Uh, I'm going to be with you all the days of your life and all the days to the end of the age. Jesus is still present and can be experienced and seen. He said, Well, John, how do you. I, 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 I haven't seen Jesus. Well, maybe you need to get where he is. Because recently, I'm just telling you the last few months. Uh, I was in Mumbai, India on Chapati Beach uh, in the first Sunday in October. It is a humongous Hindu festival. There were tens of thousands of people there. They were worshiping this idol called Ganesh. Uh, and they were coming down, they were pouring coconut water on it, they were doing incense, they were chanting, they were bowing down to this idol that they were carrying out into the sea, and it was made of sea mud, and they had spent lots of money on it, but it eventually would dissolve, and it would bring back to them good luck for the next year, and they would get what they want. Well, we were going, and I'm having conversations with people, but, but all of a sudden, I noticed this young 22-year-old Guy who keeps circling around every time I'm talking, every place I'm going, he comes and and so he he comes up and um, and I said, what's your name? And he reaches up and he whispers in my ear, Muhammad. And I said, Muhammad, this is Hindu. That Muhammad is not Hindu. And he, I said, uh, can we? What do you think about this? And he goes, he was deathly afraid. Because this is not a Muslim place. If you go to India, you find that there is great animosity between Hindus and Muslims. He was afraid. Uh, We talked for a moment and then then we made our way back through this river of people. To a place where we could talk. And he said, John. uh, And I had a translator there with me as well. He said, I'm from Andhra Pradesh. We're in Mumbai. Half a continent away. Uh, half a subcontinent away. And he said, I have come here, uh, and, and when I came here, I had a sense that I could find out who Jesus was. Now, there are tens of thousands of people there, and he found me. Well, you say, oh, that sounds very coincidental. Just a few days before that, I was with a guy named Josh. Josh is from maybe 60 miles east of here, right outside of Atlanta. He's 28 years old. He said, John, I've known him since he he and his wife were journey people with us. And, uh, they had to, and they had started learning language in North Africa. And they had to go home. They had a child who was born with some serious kidney problems. And then uh, late, well, middle of last year, they were able to go back. And they got back into language and then... In February of this year, um, Emily had a serious back problem. She had a ruptured disc. They had to go to a different place and to get that worked on. And instead of of going there and saying, um, "Okay, how cerebral this is," they went to get the surgery done and uh, worked on. But they spent the month in prayer, asking God to do something in him. They said God really inspired them on one thing. And the Lord said, if I ask you to do something, are you willing to do anything I ask you? You know, what are we going to say? I think technically all of us will always say, sure, Lord. So they go back into their country there in North Africa. and They've had some training and Jonathan's walking home. He's carrying two bags of groceries. No car, you know they live in an apartment around, him. and say so he's going around the corner and, and, and this older man, maybe for him older in his early forties, comes walking up to him and it so say he he nods at him and he's going around and he's Jonathan's not just you know he he's a a, a very um, nice genteel, polite person, so you know as being a polite southerner, you just don't barge into people's life. And, uh, and uh, just as he walked past, it came in his mind, the words, you need to speak to him. He said, now that's weird. And then the next words was, I thought you would do anything I ask you to do. So he turns and he greets this guy and starts talking to him. Well, this guy turns out to be a high school teacher of philosophy. Ten years before, his school had given him a Bible to read, to teach about maybe what's it like to, for Christians. And he had read the Bible over that ten-year period. And, and he turns to Jonathan he says, uh, Are you a Christian? And he said, Yeah. He said, I have never met a Christian before. He said, uh, What do you think the Bible says? Standing with his groceries, he begins with creation. He begins with the very statements there of our fall that comes so clearly written in chapter 3 of Genesis and the resulting shame and death. He walks through the Old Testament, the sacrifices and those items. Then he comes to the magnificent story of Jesus and his redemption and his resurrection. And he says, that's what I believe. And the man looked at him and said, I agree with you. He was totally blown away. He said, how did that happen? He said, uh, can we talk more? He said, well, let me lay my groceries down. He took his groceries down. They went, they sat, and they talked. As they were talking, if this is, uh, is, is not bizarre enough, he, this man, whose name is Saeed, said, said uh, I had a student who came to me with two weird dreams. Uh, would you be willing to talk to him? I said, sure. He said, where can I meet him? So, well, he works in a travel agency that's just across from the place that you study language. Well, that place was a Hajj travel agency. It, it's a place where people go and book tickets to go to Mecca. Not generally the place that Christians go. Uh, on top of that, this young man's name was Osama. So he went to the Muslim travel agency to find Osama. Well, he went in, he found Osama, and and Osama said, great, I'd love to talk to you, and they went out to drink coffee. So they're drinking coffee, and uh, as they're drinking coffee, Osama said, yes, uh, I had these dreams. He said, when I went to sleep, uh," and he tells him the date, he says, "Uh, the first night I woke up in my dream, and... uh, I saw on my wall the strangest words I've ever seen. It said, You must be born again. He says, I never heard those words. And the very next night, the dream was intensified because I had another dream. I was in a garden. And I got in the garden and there was a man in all white there. And, and, and peace was exuding from him. And... and I assume that this guy was Sidna which is a Muslim name for Jesus. Can you help me with my dreams? Well, John chapter 3, Nicodemus. Boom, right there. We have the story. The gospel, a sighting of Jesus, Jesus at work, Jesus lining things up, Jesus and his spirit bringing these two men who were totally without knowing believers, getting them to the place where they might hear the good news from believers. Yes, Jesus is alive. You can keep working on that. And in that now you can understand why the Great Commission, the list of things that he wants us to understand makes a difference. Because this God who is alive, who is going to give us resurrection has come and he has given us some things. He says when they came, the 11, they came, not the 12, the 11, they worshiped him. Worship is absolutely important. You got to get your heart, your worship right. What do you worship? Ask yourself, what's so important that I want to give my heart and life and devotion to in the way I praise? What do I worship? That's a big question. And then he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How much is it all? You know, Donald Trump is, he trumpets his his own intentions. And, you know, Hillary Clinton, she wants Obama, Putin, um, all these great leaders. They have authority, but it's derived And it's only for a time. Only for a time. Caesar Augustus is dead. He's not that August. (laughs) Hitler is dead. His Reich Reich did not last a thousand years. Uh, Mao Zedong, great leader, changed his country. Dead. Not Jesus. All authority is in his hand. And because of that, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Well, that's a serious responsibility. All nations, all peoples, all ethnics, all languages. Revelation five nine tells us it's every tribe, every tongue, every people. He said, "Well, John, I know we need to go, but we still have a lot of lost people here." I said, "How? How do you know that?" Well, they're in my neighborhood. True. There's a mosque at the end of my neighborhood in, in Richmond. True. Uh, they're in my workplace. True. They're in my school. True. But they're not unreached. And you said, why do you say that? Because I'm there and you're there. And we're the only plan God has for them hearing. That's our responsibility in this day and in this time. He says, go baptizing them, giving them my name, my name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to deserve, to observe, to do, not to understand completely, but to observe, to be doers of the things that I have told you to do. And then look, See. behold, I'm alive. And I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Now, I'm not even sure if there probably was a problem these folks are having to leave here from, from. Problems enter into all of our lives. But that should intensify our attention to this passage. Because this passage tells us how we deal with ultimate problems, it gives us the guidance and the direction. Why do we give of our lot? Because God's given to us. And he says, I want to use you to send to the nations. I, I want to use you to bend your knee and ask of me that he will send workers into the harvest. I want to ask of you that you will cross the street and you will give up your own comfort To make sure that the lost people who come into your life might know the truth. Eternity is way too long for us to be wrong. So this is a very important thing for us to weigh and to measure this day. This commission. As I was on that beach... I was struck at the lostness of those folks. Because as I was trying to walk out with Muhammad, there was a stream of people. And it was like trying to walk in a river. As people were pushing and they were bringing these idols. And they were going there for nothing. Because these idols represent nothing. Because there is no Ganesh. There is no other God but God. And they were going out there and they were rushing down to the sea. It was like a river, a flow, a river of people who for the most part never knew a believer, never had seen a Christian, never had heard about the resurrection, did not know that that was a free gift that God was offering all who would believe and they were doomed and damned and probably many of them will be in hell forever, cut off from God. And that, my friend, bothers me very much because you know what? I was saved and didn't deserve it. I did not merit my salvation. I did not earn it. I did not even have any right to it. But someone told me the truth. As a matter of fact, my dad's first cousin had come to live with us. And she had gone to China in 1917. And she used the two, the, the Chinese character for, for man to be her witness to me. She said, you know, this man here, his heart is dark because he is trying to live his own way. But you know, when you put the blood of Jesus on a dark heart, and she put another red symbol up there for man, that he can purify it and make it whole. And all you have to do, John, is believe. I remember as a seven-year-old looking at that and raising my hands up to God and believing. Because she told me. She told me. And God's spirit worked in me. What about you? Someone told you. Who is it that God wants you to tell? And and who is it that God wants you to send on their way to tell those who would have no hope of hearing unless they were sent? Father, we come today with hearts open. And Lord, I thank you for the patience.